Your favorite Lagos Talks podcasts are now available on all online podcast platforms. Simply search for Lagos Talks 913 on your preferred podcast platform. Lagos Talks 91.3. Join the conversation. Welcome. It is State of the Nation on Lagos Talks 91.3 FM. My name is Michelle Ago. With me here is, uh, well, Emmanuel Odeyemi as usual, and one of the two usual suspects, Ayo. Hello, gentlemen. Good evening. Welcome to State of the Nation today. Good evening. Mm-hmm. Very good evening to you, Michelle. Good evening, Ayo. Glad to have you guys on the show as usual. And good evening to all of our listeners from Absolutely. wherever they are. Yeah. And uh, welcome you once again to State of the Nation live on Lagos Talks 91.3. Once again, my name is Emmanuel Odeemi, and I welcome you to States of the Nation. All right. Now, we'll be looking at the biggest stories in the news today, and uh, Emmanuel Odeemi will be reading us these very interesting stories, and we'll be taking a critical look at them, giving you uh, the day's analysis on the stories, and you out there can be a part of the show by simply calling the studio lines 0809 Zero eight zero nine two 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 zero nine one three or zero eight zero nine two three four five nine one three. Better yet, you can tweet at Lagos Talks nine one three. Use the hashtag SOTN to join in the conversation. Emmanuel. Yes. Um, so to to start the show today, uh, the aftermath of the subsidy removal is still very very much in the news and information reaching us. It says that the leadership of the Nigerian Labour Congress, the NLC, and the Trade Union Congress are, in a, are set to meet with the president today. We cannot readily confirm the time of the meeting, but Joe Ajero, the NLC president, disclosed this yesterday on a TV show, and he said the protest was actually suspended after the intervention of the National Assembly and the president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, President Bola Netinubu. Adding that time and now one or two issues have played out, and that uh, the Senate promised to get back to the NLC and resolve the matter within one week. And just yesterday, uh, there was a notice from them inviting the NLC for a meeting today, Tuesday. So um, that's basically the information. Now, very quickly, uh, is this uh, does this look like a good development with the president accepting to meet the NLC in person? Well, I think he wants to negotiate directly uh, with the members of the NLC. Um, I don't know if you watched the um, channel's television yesterday night and some of the comments that um, the NLC people were making on national TV, um, you know, to the extent that they made comments like um, when asked why the president was appointing 45 to 48 ministers, Mm. um, you know, he said he was creating jobs. Um, you know, when asked how he was saving cost, um, the president said he was flying his own private jet. Now, uh, we're not in that meeting, but if we're to believe what the gentleman was saying on national TV, then it's going to be a very difficult negotiation to go into um, because it will be difficult for both sides to shift ground. Um, For Mr. President, he believes in this policy he believes in this market reforms um that he's pursuing he's getting the right signals from the global um and international community they seem to appreciate the effort um of pursuing these reforms uh, and i think that he's confident that it will yield dividends um in the coming months uh, for the nlc on the other hand they have to deal you know with a shrinking purchasing power um, but more worryingly is that they still have to see governors appoint um, tens and tens mm. of aides that they do not need. They still see their president appointing um, the highest number of ministers that we've seen in recent time. Uh, of course, you know, all of these ministers are also going to appoint aides that are going to draw um, from the public fund. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be quite, um, quite a, a conversation with the president. And I, I don't see how this is resolved, um, except, of course, they get some sort of a generous raise in terms of the minimum wage, which also I don't know where these funds are going to come from. Um, I would imagine that the president may want to consider 
um, a 50 to 100% raise, which is to move it from 30,000 to about 60,000 Naira. Uh, but even if you do that, you know, I'm not sure that that might be enough to cushion the effect um, of what this market reforms has, you know, created. So um, it's a bit between a rock and a hard place for Mr. President. And, you know, I think that certain things could have been done differently. Certain things could have been phased. Um, but we're where we are now. The president is betting, you know, on his reforms and its transformational ability. Um, but the NLC want to leave up till tomorrow when those reforms are going to materialize. So it just depends on how 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 you look at it. But I think that um, it's important <coughs> for these talks to continue. Um, and I also think that it's important for both parties to meet in the middle in the interest of everyone. Yeah, uh, talk, talking about meeting in the middle, uh, the NLC seems to be taking a hard stance this time around, perhaps to prove a point that uh, it's not a toothless bulldog, which to me is a good thing. It's, a, it's, it's something that people have been dying to see where uh, the NLC would stick to its guns and get things done. But again, uh, looking at the kind of demands they're making, are, are these demands really, really um, realistic for the federal government to accede to and 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 just accept based on the fact that the NLC wants these things before calling off um, or, or before uh, deciding not to embark on a strike. These things can they happen? Uh, you, you have you, you have to look at it from you know a lot of angles. I fundamentally believe that these reforms could have been handled differently. And, but that's my that's my view of it, um, because it looks like there are too much shocks, you know, in the economy. And then when there's too much shock, um, it makes it difficult, you know, for the results that you are expecting to materialize, um, you know. And for me, what are the issues here? What are the fundamental issues here? The fundamental issues here is the is the price of food in the markets, the cost of transportation, right, and the fact that the purchasing power of the average Nigerian. Um, you know, has been drastically reduced. So, in my opinion, um, if you can deal with the prices of food, you know, which, um, you know, statistics reveal that, you know, every household spends, uh, or collectively, 65% of the average household income goes on food expenditure. Now, if you can deal with the prices of food, then you'll be able to drop that, that cost for households. The second highest component cost for households is transportation. So if you're able to deal with these two things, then you are likely to be able to drop um, the inflation numbers and you are likely to be able to leave monies in the hands of people. So how do you deal with that? And that's one plan that we have not seen clearly being addressed. I know that um, they talk about some, some, some food security plan. Um, we've not seen movements in that regard. Of course, there's no Minister of Agriculture as we speak. Um, some states haven't even appointed commissioners for agriculture. So there's hardly any um, coordination between the federal government and the state governments in terms of agriculture, um, you know, in, in pursuit of food security in that regard. So nothing has happened um, in that instance. And, you know, if you read the papers... Um, there are still attacks happening in Plateau State. There are still attacks happening in Benue State. So farmers are still not able to produce at the level that they should produce. Um, so a lot of factors have to go into um, lowering food and transportation prices. Uh, and unfortunately, I have not seen enough in that regard as we speak. So it means that we would have to be dealing with this for, for a long period of time. But it's important that I also make this point, Emmanuel, because... You see, what the president is banking on, um, um, I, I, first of all, let me admit, you know, that, you know, public policies always or should have um, theoretical foundation, right? So there is no doubt that the president's, you know, policy or his economic policy now in terms of the market reforms that he's pursuing is grounded in economic theory. There's a foundation for it, what he wants to do. Um, you know, is to open up the markets to attract foreign direct investments into the economy. So they bring in this inflow of hard currency, they stimulate the economy, they create jobs. So that's exactly what Mr. President wants to do. But you see, the problem here is that it's still based on an assumption. It's not a fact that if you pursue certain kinds of reforms, that ABC is going to happen. 
Now, that it happened in the times past does not mean it's going to happen now. And I say this because the world has changed drastically in the last decade. Um, for instance, the Americans um, are now becoming a lot more insular. They are now pursuing protectionist policies um, like we've not seen in a very long time. They are already, you know, there's, there's, there's 460 billion subsidies, um, you know, for electric vehicles, for, for chip manufacturing companies, and for several other energy industries um, to attract companies into the into, into United States. In fact, as I speak to you, there are so many companies in Germany that are now relocating to the United States. Um, so you see that economies are trying to protect their own interest more. Um, so it's no longer the case in which the Asian tigers grew, where they simply pursued market reforms, the Americans and, and much of Europe outsourced manufacturing to these Asian tigers and they grew at 10 you know, percent um, for over 10 years. Um, at, the time, at this time, people want to keep manufacturing jobs in their country and don't want to outsource those jobs you know, as much as they used to two, three decades ago, which was the engine of, of the growth for many of these Asian tigers. So the question is, if... If we are not going to be, if, if, if what Mr. President is betting on, that there's going to be an inflow of investments and all of that into our country, if that bet doesn't pull off, what next? What really is our plan B, you know, at the end of the day? And that, that, and that is where my worry is. Um, because I don't just think that we're going to achieve the same kind of success that the Asians achieved in the late 80s and the early 90s, pursuing these same kind of market reforms. I don't see us achieving those same results because the global economy has changed uh, and major countries in Europe, in America, are trying to keep manufacturing jobs in their country. In any case, uh, we don't even have the kind of skills that the Vietnamese have um, or that the Singaporeans have uh, or that the Malaysians have, for instance, to be able to compete with these countries, um, you know, to, to attract those kinds of jobs. And guess what, Emmanuel? We used to have a competitive advantage in terms of cheap energy. Uh, that means th the fact that our energy used to be cheap and the fact that our labor used to be cheap would or should have made us a magnet um, for these kinds of jobs to attract this kind of factories into Nigeria. Um, but because we did not over time invest in the right skills um, to skill our populace and we did not invest in productivity, um, while you know issuing out these subsidies, we were unable to benefit from this what could have been a bonanza for us, um, you know, um, in the last you know few decades. And and so where where we are now, the truth is there are oh. hard choices to be made, really hard choices. There are no easy way easy. There are no easy way out, right? So we mm. we we just have to look for what what inflicts the least amount of pain. And that's why for me the most important thing to show is that people who are elected into office show that they feel the same pain that the average man on the street is, is, is feeling. So no more flying on business classes or first class on public funds. You know, no more foiling 10, 15 SUVs in convoys. Um, you know, no more doing unnecessary foreign trips, you know, taking estacos and carrying all your aids um, across the world. So we need to show that, people in government need to show that, um, they are responsible for the pain that many of these people are going through and they are also making sacrifices on their own so that everybody can go through this together, you know, uh, and get out of this together. But if they continue to live in opulence, then there's going to be a real problem down the road. Hmm. Well, thank you very much, Ayo. Uh, that's uh, very deep and insightful. So uh, as we look at the presidency, uh, the federal government uh, grappling with all of these challenges at home. We also see a situation where um, all of a sudden we're dealing with uh, grave implications following the trouble brewing in our neighboring country, uh, Niger. And um, it's kind of dominated uh, the news for a bit. And we'll go into that very quickly with latest developments arising from the coup d'etat in, uh, in the Niger Republic. And the news says that the West African bloc, uh, ECOWAS, is scheduled to meet again on Thursday to discuss the coup in Niger as cracks appeared 
in its unity, and the military junta in Niamey refused to cave in to international pressure to stand down. Uh, the announcement that the ECOWAS uh, would uh, meet in Abuja came hours after the coup leaders ignored the deadline to reinstate the ousted president after the power grab that happened on the 26th of July. Shortly before that deadline, uh, the coup leaders closed Niger's airspace until further notice, citing threats of military intervention. We, we, we all know what has played out. So, Ayo, this has generated a lot of controversy, particularly with people looking at the implications of what might happen since we share the borders with uh, Niger Republic. Just a few hours ago, I was reading a report about uh, people doing business on the borderline between Nigeria and Niger, claiming or saying that everything has gone dead since the border has been closed. Uh, people are actually out of jobs and there's nothing to fall back on. This is just one out of many implications of military intervention that uh, um, the ECHO was under the leadership of our own president uh, threatened uh, to inflict on uh, Niger. Uh, and all of these and many more things that have played out, but the essential thing, the bottom line, the baseline of all of the discussions and conversations is that, is it right for ECOWAS to uh, apply military force to to right what the term has wrong in in Niger. There's been a lot of arguments back and forth. That, uh, that there are other things that we need to look at. And some have spoken for ECOWAS saying it's high time we stem the tide of coup d'etats in the region. So it's all in the mix. And it appears that ECOWAS has taken a back step in enforcing uh, law and order as a, like what do you call it a godfather figure for west african states uh, choosing instead to have another meeting after the military junta defied uh ECOWAS. so i mean i think that um president mbola ahmed tinubu would wish that um the kind of challenges he's confronted with were the kind of challenges Buhari was confronted with in, in 2015. Mm. Because, I mean, the, the challenges confronting Ashwaju are, are, are challenges where there are no easy answers. Um, there are no straightforward decisions to be made. Um, you know, and one has to think deeply, deeply, very deeply about the decisions that you make. Um, in the case of Niger, I, I think that um, the pronouncements were a bit hasty. Um, I understand that on the one hand, um, Niger, of course, was the last country in the in the Sahel that was still a democracy before it was taken over um, by the coup. So I, I guess that the ECOWAS were a bit ECOWAS were a bit hasty to make certain kinds of pronouncements um, in their bid to denounce the coup and to restore democracy in Niger Republic. Um, and, and I say this because I think that they should have led with diplomacy first. And, you know, hearing, hearing lies some of my issues, um, Emmanuel. And it just occurred to me that how is it possible that there is a coup um, or there's a diplomatic problem, let me put it that way, in Niger Republic, and there aren't top diplomats that, you know, we can lean on, you know, to be able to engage the junta in Niger Republic. There aren't diplomats, um, or as, as we have seen, there probably might be, but we haven't seen any prominent ones, um, who are engaging the rank and file um, in Niger Republic to be able to draw them, you know, um, you know, to a conversation table at the end of the day. So it, it tells me again that that's, 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 that's a consequence of a weakened foreign policy approach um, in quite a while on Nigeria's part. Um, that we haven't taken regional leadership very, very seriously. And I, in particular, have written about this severally in times past, um, that especially in the Sahel, Nigeria has not played the kind of role that it should be playing, even though we are impacted, you know, by the socioeconomic realities in the Sahel. I, 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 you know, one thing you must also realize is that Sa the Sahel region has the, the lowest 
human development index in the world. They are the poorest countries in the entire world. Poverty, you know, is ravaging there. There's unemployment. There's a high youthful population. And, you know, it's even worse because our borders are very accessible, right? So I always argued that Nigeria needed a clear foreign policy, um, even though it was on a regional level, especially in the Sahel, to be able to engage these countries and deal with what could be um, a threat to our national security. Unfortunately, I, I, I haven't seen that played out, you know, in recent times. So, so there are two things here. You've heard former President Buhari say consistently, in fact, one of the last statements he made while leaving office was that if we you know, trouble him too much in Nigeria, he's going to go to Niger to go and rest. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there is a sort of brotherhood um, between many parts of northern Nigeria um, with Niger Republic. So it makes it very difficult you know, for you to lead any kind of military intervention um, in that part of the country because of the impact that it would have um, on northern Nigeria, for instance. Um, of course, the, we're talking about food security now. We're talking about the price of food in Nigeria. Um, if we pursue or allow or lead a military action in Niger, you, you have no idea the kind of impact that would have on the cost of food, um, you know, especially across northern Nigeria, which will have a reverberating effect on the cost of food, you know, across the country. So on all angles, on all angles, um, and, and I must say that I do not actually think that the president wants to pursue a military action um, in Niger Republic. It, I, I just don't think so. That in my heart, I don't of, think so either. In my hearts of hearts, I, I don't think Ashiwaju is one person who wants to. I know that he has, um, you know, a disdain for coups and for military governments having... Um, gone through what he went through under the Abacha regime, but um, I just don't see him as somebody who wants to just um, take military action in another country. I think they want to put pressure on the Nigerian government um, and to ensure that they restore um, their democratically elected government. But the lesson here, actually, um, as it did happen in Mali, in, in Burkina Faso, uh, in Chad, and as we're seeing here in in um, in Niger, is that the only antidote um, to coups in many parts of Africa um, is a democratic government that delivers the dividends of democracy to its people. Um, yeah. If people do not prosper, if people do not see themselves climb the social ladder, if their lives do not improve, if, they, if the young people in those countries don't find jobs, they become disillusioned and democracy is just another... Um, uh, 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 political lexicon to them that means absolutely nothing, right? And they would always seek hope in alternative means. Uh, and we may con con condemn those means, um, you know, but to them, democracy has not delivered anything. Uh, and so if we as a country also want to play a big brother role in the continent, we also must show that democracy actually produces results. And so we must be able to show our neighbors that this democracy has created millions of jobs for our people. This democracy has ensured that we've dealt with corruption and drawn it to the barest minimum. We must show that this democracy has provided um, strong national security for our country. That's the way that we can play a continental big brother role. Um, so until we do that, I just don't see how we can find the bully pulpit to be able to nudge them um, into accepting or into restoring, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, um, you know, the, the ousted, um, democratically elected, you know, um, president. And there's a legitimacy problem with many members of ECOWAS, as it was pointed by the junta, that, you know, you have some countries where you are, you are, you are defining the constitution and exceeding the term limits um, and winning elections with 98%, and you're calling that a democracy. So I mm. think that there has to be an introspection for many countries in Africa to also look at what they are describing as democracies, which are actually anocracies, um, mm. you know, to ensure that they begin to play um, by the book. And if mm. we so decide, 
that democracy as handed down by the west needs a kind of refinement that suits into the african context then let us sit down and design a democracy that works for us so that we can adhere to those principles and we can move our countries forward mm. i think i think you've 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 hit the nail on the head and that the crux of the matter as it were is the fact that even ECOWAS, while pointing an accusing figure, finger, has got four fingers pointing at itself. Like you've rightly said, there's gross abuse of power across member nations of ECOWAS, and that, that brings a real legitimacy problem to whatever uh, posture ECOWAS wants to uh, uh, retain while handling the Niger crisis. And that, for me, that, that's where the problem lies. If a father, let's take it from the home front, if a father is a known uh, robber or, or thief, and then uh, his son has come home with a report from school that he's stolen probably a pencil of a classmate, how does that father correct his son? I, th I think that's where, where the problem lies, actually. Mm. So hopefully we, 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 we see where the crown lies heavy on the head of President Bola Mejinubuad. For the life of me, I, I do not envy him. I, I just don't know how ECOWAS wants to play this out without looking like a weakling and at the same time doing what it's supposed to do, to do by setting member states right. But we keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best uh, in the resolution of the crisis in Niger. All right, uh, back home in Nigeria again, we've not seen the last of uh, the problem with the Federal Character Commission. Now, what is in the news is that Aruna Kolo, an ex-aide to the chairperson of the Federal Character Commission, Muhiba Dankaka, has confessed to selling federal employment slots to job seekers at the directives of his former boss. Uh, Kolo made a confession on Monday while testifying before the House of Reps Adult Committee investigating job racketeering at ministries, departments, and agencies. In his testimony, he alleged that um, Ms. Dankaka set up a job racketeering ring collecting money from job seekers. Uh, the, the details are very messy. And he, he also stated, which uh, for me is a very important part of his testimony, that to avoid digital trails, Mrs. Dankaka insisted on cash transactions only. And on the allegations of job racketeering, the FCC chairman, in his own words now, Ayo, uh, Kolo said, the FCC chairman instructed me to liaise with one Mr. Shew, who is a personal driver and PA to the Taraba State Commissioner. As a desk officer, I'm responsible to take whoever is employed to IPPIS for capturing. No one can go there without a letter from the chairman or human resource officer of FCC. When she came, she wrote a letter to the accountant general instructing that no letter from FCC should be honored except she signs the letter. So whenever there was a new employment, she signs, gives to me, and I take to the Accountant General's office for capturing. Shehu is the one that I brought those who paid monies to my account for the job. Some paid 1 million naira, others paid 1.5 million, all to my personal account, my EcoBank account. She asked me to give, her, give cash to her, which I did through POS, so there's no evidence of transfer or anything. <laughs> That's the testimony from Kolo. And it goes on, it's a very long report here that I'm taking from uh, Premium Time. So, Basically, Mr. Dankaka is facing allegations of corruption, nepotism, and high-headedness in the handling of the commission. Most of the allegations are coming from commissioners in the commission. Now, there's a new development I was hoping I could do um, the, the, a, a voice uh, report on that, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't have it here with me. Mrs. Dankaka has reacted to this, denying all of the allegations and turning the story around to say that she came into the FCC as chairperson to right all of the wrongs. And in the video I saw while she was giving her testimony, uh, she, she claimed that she had made money before becoming the chairman of the FCC and then uh, had, had established a very vibrant grains business, uh, um, uh, with rice business, I, th I think she said. And then she had no cause uh, to engage in all of these unwholesome activities that have been um, have been accredited, accredited to her. And also, she said that she had identified 
um, corruption uh, with details. And she claimed to have documents as well. And that uh, because she didn't know she was going to be summoned at the time that she was, uh, she would have brought the documents to the table for everyone to see. And she gave a lengthy explanation of how it was um, evil fighting against her because she had tried to stop all of the corrupt practices in the FCC. So it's a conundrum that we are faced with. But if if you ask me, Ayo, the, 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 my takeaway on this <clears throat> is that this is not new. Uh, we've heard stories of the sale of federal employment jobs for years and years, and nothing has ever been done uh, across all of the MDAs. Uh, but for the first time, this looks like a different turn because uh, there's a spotlight being shined on this particular issue. But we, we, we wait to see how it, how it goes. So, Ayo, what do you make of this? <laughs> I mean, you saw the show of shame on national TV. Um, <laughs> and it's not the first time we see public officials embarrass themselves and embarrass this country at the same time. And you wonder when these, when these, when these things would stop. Um, because first and foremost, um, we saw the woman swearing with everything that she knew, the Holy Quran, um, and, and, and swore um, several times that she had nothing to do with any corruption and that it was the senior directors or commissioners, as she called them, who were always um, forcing her or compelling her you know, to indulge in corrupt practices. And because she didn't play along, um, they are trying to victimize her. Uh, and so it was shocking for us to also see that, you know, somebody who works with her, you know, came out to make all of these damning allegations. Um, I think for me, what I would like to see is that this is taken up by the police um, and treated like a criminal matter, um, or at least taken up by the EFCC. Um, and that it's, you know, it's, 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 it's investigated and it found culpable people are prosecuted. Um, but whether I have hopes that that would happen is a different kettle of fish. We saw what played out with the NDDC, um, in the last administration. We saw the numbers that were being bandied out in the public that people could not defend. Um, we saw how embarrassing those numbers were. We saw the, the, the allegations of corruption and counter-corruption. And unfortunately, as you know, nothing came of that, um, you know, uh, public inquiry. So I, I'm not optimistic that anything would, would come out of this. I'm just embarrassed that we have individuals who continue to embarrass not just themselves, but as our country as a whole. And, you know, how is anybody in the world going to respect a Nigerian when public officials continue to conduct themselves in this embarrassing manner? you know, and continue to wash their dirty laundry, you know, in the public like this. So I think we have to sit up, you know, as a country. We have to decide um, if we want to live by the rule of law or if we want to live in a barbaric society without laws, uh, without regard for due process. Um, you know, we just have to make that decision, you, you know, as a country. Unfortunately, it would seem that a lot of people have submitted to these tendencies and have con uh, and have viewed it now as a way of life um, and as a way of you know making social advancements. Uh, and that's a sad that's a sad place that we found ourselves in this country. And I don't know, I really don't know how we get out of this mess that we found ourselves because as we're speaking, I can assure you. Um, if 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 this is the kind of movie that we've watched before, um, nothing is going to happen. Um, you hear somebody was being suspended, um, and if at all, and that's going to be the end of the story. We just simply move on to other things. I, 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 I mean, I, I I mean we're also now guilty of these things. I'm sure that until the senator yesterday at the screening raised the fact that 58 billion was expended. Um, on these so-called 774 jobs that were supposed to be created in these local governments that was to be supervised by Festus Keamu. Many of us had forgotten that there was an initiative like that, right? So that's the problem that we face, that monies are appropriated. Um, sometimes these monies are spent and questions aren't asked. 
right? I, I just don't know what kind of country we are, tr- truthfully, Emmanuel. I don't know what kind of people we are. I, I just don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's, it's the fact that we're so deeply um, um, religious in a funny way. Maybe it's the maybe it's the air that we breathe or the water that we drink. But we're just so tolerant um, of abuse of processes. We are so tolerant of corruption. Um, you know, we're so tolerant of sneaky people. It's it's it's, it's embarrassing. The, the kind mm. of people who are who were screened and some of the people who escaped screening. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure democracies across the world would wonder. You know, you know what kind of people we are. You know, as a country, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that as long as we run a purely reward-based uh, political system, we will keep getting this kind of people um, uh, doing things unabashedly, without shame, without recourse to whatever issue everybody thinks to be the right thing to do. Uh, the political class, like we've said for years and years. Have been afflicted with a disease called political arrogance wherein they do not care what the people think because the truth is they keep doing it and they keep getting away with it and that and that's where uh, the, the story gets very sad because there seems to be no end inside but but i know that at some point um uh, unity of purpose usually um, does a lot of damage to whatever uh, whatever kind of rot uh, bedevils a nation and, and, and that's where Nigerians need to really sit up and demand more of our leadership so sustained demands usually uh, it gets the job done at some point that, that's what I believe anyways alright we, we, we've gone um, deep into the part of the show where we need to open up the phone lines but very quickly we'll take a brief look at this developing story uh, where the immediate past minister of works and housing minister Babatunde Fashil has filed a formal petition to the acting inspector general of police Kyle Diabeto seeking an urgent probe of the baseless and defamatory allegations that he was involved in drafting the judgment for the presidential election petition tribunal judges. Uh, Fashil in a petition addressed to the IG on Monday titled Re False Allegation and Cyber Stalking of Mr. Babatunde Raja Fashil SAN con by the trial of jackson ude yoruba sheikh and reportera.ng by solicitors priori terrorist solicitors urged the police chief to launch as a matter of urgency and seriousness an investigation into the said malicious publications with a bid to clearing his name and setting the record straight uh, on monday denied the allegation as he called on security agencies to take action against those responsible for spreading the fake news. He clarified that he had been away from Abuja for an extended period of time. Hence, he described the claims as entirely unfounded. He condemned the individuals behind the allegations, noting that he had, in, that he had initiated the process of filing formal petitions against the offensive tweets and online reports with the management of the microblogging site X, formerly known as Twitter, and the National Communications Commission. Um... Ayo, we all know the details, but what is striking for me is the gravity of these allegations. I don't know the uh, the uh, personalities or organizations or news platforms behind the story. Um, I've hardly heard, I don't think the names are familiar to me, especially reportera.ng, but to make such an allegation which is very grave in its entirety alleging that uh, the former minister is drafting judgments for the presidential election petition tribunal judges i don't know what to make of that i don't think i've ever heard this kind of allegation before um it, it calls for retrospection it's up to fashola and his team to defend his integrity which he has set out to do but the lesson in it for all of us is where I want us to quickly look at. Are you in two minutes so that we can open up the phone lines, please? The fellow um, is a known hawker of fake news. And I think that um, he should have his day in court. Um, unfortunately, or I would rather say fortunately for him, um, he lives outside the shores of this country. And perhaps that gives him um, the wings to perpetuate this um criminality 
that he does um, is always one fake news or the other and he's been doing this for for years now um you know and and, and he seems to get away with it uh, and it's sad you know and i hope that someday soon um the hand of the law will get a hold of him uh, but uh, at a wider context you know something has to be done about fake news um you know it doesn't have to be drastic but i think it needs to cost people something right so um and the process um you know to adjudicate on that should also be seamless um you know for instance the lagos state government created um this what was this thing called um just ran out of my head um uh, this dispute resolution center right people who didn't want to go to traditional courts uh would go to a dispute resolution center and and it was faster and you know cases were settled quicker and perhaps we may need to create something like that um you know for for defamation on social media um and so that these cases can be speedy and once found guilty people can be punished financially so when it costs you um you know a few thousands or hundreds of thousands uh, for the stupidity that you display online i'm sure that will get a lot of people to fall in line at the end of the day um, but it's important to also state that it's a civil matter which is why i said uh, which is strengthening the system for which people seek redress when they are being defamed um, and of course an issue cost the people who defame the character of others um you know in serious monetary terms um, and that hopefully will deter people um, from being this silly and from defaming the characters um, of people online. All right, very many thanks to you, Ayo. And at this point, we take the conversation right to your doorstep. Uh, you are the people, and it's time to weigh in on all of these discussions. Michelle, over to you. All right, thank you. Phone lines are 0809 191393 Thank you. Lagos Talks, good evening. 
Vegas Talks. Hello, good evening. Welcome. What's your name? Where are you calling from? I am Chukuma, calling from Ejibo, Nigeria. All right, please go ahead. Yeah, good evening, Mr. Manuel. Good evening, Mr. Ayo. Good evening. Yeah, Mr. For me, for me, for me, since I become uh, politically aware in this country, I found out that every successive government tends to be worse than the previous one. So I have resigned my faith. So whatever is happening in this country, I I don't care anymore. Uh, so like uh, I have issue with my uh, spiritual leader. He was asking us to pray for Nigeria. We have a, people have other things to do with their life other than to pray for people that don't care. People will come to office and tell you that they have made their money before coming to office. We have so what, what are they looking for in the office? So they should go and enjoy their money. Our president told us before the election that it is his turn. So we should allow this guy do his turn and go away. And that person's turn will come. Nothing will come out of this Nigeria thing. This allegations, nothing will come out. We have had out of them. So it's business as usual. So, All right, like, thank you. Let's take more calls. Lagos Talks, good evening. Good evening, Michelle. Welcome. What's your name? Where are you calling yeah, from? Good evening. And are you? All right. Um, Michelle, if Nigeria is a country that works, after that allegation from that man to that woman, mm. do you think she was able to defend her friendship from other documents? Someone came with a proof and even said the banks should pay the money on to. Was it not, um, it's not uh, for the, uh, what is it called again, uh, ICPC, to find a way to cash those people that collected the money and said, did you pay money to this account? It's not that before you hear that you say it's an alleged allegation, uh, you are a political witch hunt. Maybe that witch is hunting for Nigeria. The witch only hunt the people they keep money. Maybe they hunt the people who don't get money. The problem is that, like I have said, we are never sincere. And I've said we were designed to fail. We'll keep hearing this and that before you know this government will come and go. Nothing happened to those that so even the person that got played, that painted this, that painted money, where is the person by now? Keep giving an excuse. Anyway, I don't blame myself. Now go to Canada, Nigeria. Now we'll get caught with case with work up. Thank you. Mm. All right, thank you. Hmm. Oh, well, uh, we'll take a few more calls before we wrap it up. 015150913. 015150913. You can also call 0809 919 0809-222-0913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. 0809-224-5913. All right, thank you. Uh, it's a message here from uh, Senator Ad- um, Lade Domain. You're saying, um, are you making sense on Lagos Talks right now? All right, thank you. Lagos Talks, good evening. Good evening. Welcome. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Lady Manuel. Emmanuel, good evening. Is that Ayo Adio? Good evening. Good evening. Yes, good evening. Now, uh, Yes, you see, our situation is um, quite peculiar. It's just like, for instance, take a look at the, the ministers or what we call them, yes, they've cleared them. Sometimes, if, if you are very, very objective, you that these are a collection that have concerns to answer the EFC. It's just so embarrassing. Honestly, and um, just like you all, the outside world is watching up. Giant of um, Africa, comedy of errors. Right? Is that, can we call that screening? Take a bow and go, hey, hey don't ask. Mm. I just don't understand by ourselves and our servants. Because we keep thinking that maybe something has. Oh, we have to our best 11 is not the one we put forward that, that's the sad reality 
Then again, we just pray that to anyway. So sad. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We do apologize. We cannot access our WhatsApp platform at the moment uh, for technical reasons, but we'll be wrapping it up here uh, at the moment. Emmanuel? Uh, any any comments uh, from Ayo? Yes, I think we can start with Ayo before we wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just think... Let, let, uh, I don't even know what to say because I get tired of... Um, but I think the Nigerian people must find the courage and, you know, the moral fortitude to demand better from those who govern them. Um, it would appear to me that Nigerians like to hold people who are trying to lead more accountable than those who are already leading them. Um, and that's what I like to see. Hold these people accountable. They are not doing you a favor. They are there to govern and to improve your lives. And if your lives are not being improved... Um, I think that you should do what other democracies do through the ballot and put pressure on these individuals uh, to stop making these tokenistic excuses every time um, that things will get better. Tomorrow will be better than today. Um, it was not my fault. It was the guy that came here yesterday. All of these excuses, I think the Nigerian people shouldn't accept them any longer. They should demand the best um, and ensure that, you know, those who they elect deliver on their promises. All right. Thank you. Imano? All right. Thank you, Ayo. And um, I will just close uh, with a very short message, which is uh, the need for us to understand the concept of focused criticism. Uh, we need to rise above all the things that divide us. I go to social media and I... I I feel very sad when people have a go at each other, uh, cursing out themselves, people making enemies of themselves because of these issues that battle us as a nation. Now, I've, I've asked this question several times. Are you not amazed when we have all of these fights and quarrels and at the end of the day, you open up your your devices, your phone, your laptop, and you see pictures of the same politicians you claim to support hugging themselves, uh, having a merry laugh. Does that not send a message to you? Nigerians must rise above all of these divisions and come together in unison to ask for the basic things. Leave aside all the sentiments, leave aside all of the passions, and let us focus on a trajectory to get a better life because that is the only thing we are asking for from our leaders a quick birthday message to my very good friend Binga Olorun for me um it's today's his birthday i wish you uh, many more years in good health and with that we say a very big thank you to everybody who's been part of this is our offering for today and we hope that you join us next tuesday for state of nation on little stocks 91.3 my name again is emmanuel Odemi, and you can Follow this conversation. You can continue these discussions with me on social media at Emmanuel on radio. That's my handle. Emmanuel is spelled with the letter I at Emmanuel on radio. Um, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us, Emmanuel. Appreciate you. Your favorite Lagos Talks podcasts are now available on all online podcast platforms. Simply search for Lagos Talks 913 on your preferred podcast platform. Lagos Talks 91.3. Join the conversation.